Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Jim Stroud and this is my podcast. Today, I had the distinct pleasure of interviewing Genevieve Hawkins, author of Mentally at Work. We discussed her motivations for writing this book, workplace strategies for encouraging good mental health in the workplace, the future of mental health in the workplace, and just how much should a company focus on the mental health of their workers? After all, they are there to work, not receive therapy. Well, the answer to that might surprise you. Tune in for a very interesting chat right after this. Hey, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? I will be speaking at SourceCon in Minneapolis about the impact of AI on the recruitment industry. It's been a long time since I spoke in public. Thank you, COVID. <laughs> but I'm back on the circuit now. If you want to see my triumphant return to the stage or my spectacular failure, <laughs> Time will tell. Meet me at SourceCon in Minneapolis, September 21st through September 22nd. Register now because tickets are going fast. And when you do register, use the code JSSSCFLL23 to get 10% off the ticket price. I'll say it again because it was a mouthful. Use the code JSSCFLL23 to get 10% off the ticket price. I'll say it again. Ah, never mind. Just, just look at the podcast description. The discount code and the link to register is there for your convenience. Now, will I see you soon at SourceCon? I hope so. SourceCon, here I come. Hello and welcome once again to another exciting episode of the Jim Stroud Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Special guest, tell us, who are you and what do you do? Oh, Jim, I love it when you say special guest. I feel like there's a real pressure to go, I'm amazing. (laughs) Don't know whether I am that special. (laughs) So, hey, Jim, I'm Genevieve Hawkins, and I am the author of Mentally at Work, and uh, I'm here. And so I guess it kind of a bit of a what do I do? And this is, can I tell you, this is the first time I get to say this on a podcast because Mm. right now what I do is I'm an executive on sabbatical writing my second book. Uh-huh. Nice, nice. But actually, so I'm a, a senior manager, have got lots of experience in major transformations in organisations and in part of being involved in those sorts of things, I, you know, decided, I think they say everyone's got a book in them. I wrote a book on mental health of the workplace. Nice. So in your case, at least two books. <laughs> well, there's going to be a second one. That's right. I think the theory is that everyone- Everyone's got at least one book in their head, that, so I have to have two, or maybe more, but who knows? <laughs> very cool, very cool. Uh, Tim, can you can you share maybe um, how your personal experiences motivated you to delve into the topic of mental health in the workplace and ultimately write your book? What what got you to do this? 
Yeah, look, there's so many different kind of things that came together to finally say, yes, actually, I probably should put this down in paper. So my, um, I originally studied as an occupational therapist. Hmm. So I've had quite a bit of experience working, both studying and then working in the space of helping people get back to work where they had been severely injured or had a psychological illness. And in fact, invariably, you'd see even with physical injuries, they'd end up with psychological challenges with it. And I was always fascinated with this idea of, why is it that it's not the injury itself that dictates whether or not someone successfully gets back to work or not? There's something much, much deeper than that. So I've always had this fascination with how the human brain works and how it is that some people thrive and some people barely survive within a workplace. So I've always read extensively in the space, interested in it, continue to work in it. And and I had the opportunity to do a major piece of work in one of the organisations that I worked with in actually running the health safety and well. So I was the general manager of health safety and wellbeing for four years. And as part of that, introduced a program in mental health and workplace because I was like, oh, my goodness, people aren't talking about this stuff. And we need to because we need to prevent things from happening in the first place. And so really that and and that opened up such amazing conversations with leaders when we started talking about here are the things that you can proactively do this is not a wait to see that something goes wrong and then try and fix it that there's so much we can do and then actually when I was moving on from that role it was my team that said to me you need to write this book you need to get out what's in your head onto paper so that others can uh, others can you know benefit from it when you move on to something else so that's why I wrote the book well, I'm glad you did. I, I was uh, telling someone previously that, you know, back in my day, uh, you didn't have that much of attention on mental health. It was like, ah, walk it off, walk it off, be a man. You know? And now it seems like people are taking mental health much more seriously these days uh, than, they, than they have in maybe decades prior. Is, is that the case in Australia has, is, or has mental health always been taken seriously? It, it absolutely is the case in Australia that it's taken far more seriously now than it had been. Mm. There's, so I certainly hear from some people that perhaps Australia has been somewhat ahead of the curve in talking about mental health a bit before everyone else. But I think COVID has changed that for everyone. Sure. And so that whole sense of the uncertainty that the whole world got faced when COVID start to, started to hit. And, it, you know, COVID hit at the same time as we've started to see such changes in our climate. and. Uh, so uncertainty in terms of how we're managing environmentally. We've got some fairly significant um, disruption from a, a war perspective across the world. So there's a whole range of different things that happened over these last few years. And I kind of say it's, it's kind of tilted the world on its axis really a bit in terms of um, people feeling more anxious, more uncertain about what it is that's going on in the world. And so I think that has helped even though it's horrible to have all of these things going on that that's actually helped to force the conversation up mm-hmm. and to start talking about it more you know in a healthier way to go what is it that we need to do and because I think I've said you know for for years you'd go people generally know that if they eat donuts and smoke cigarettes every day at some point that's going to come back to bite them you know <laughs> they and they kind of go yeah it might be hard to stop it but you know yeah. they people get people get physically what they have to do to look after their physical health. But the mental health side of things, as you see, you know, people go, ah, you know, just walk out, well, I don't want to know about it or oh, that doesn't happen to me, you know, and compared to people actually understanding that every single one of us has um, our mental health such as, as same as our physical health and we need to do things to look after both. Do you think that um, you mentioned COVID-19 and, and then everybody switched to working remote out of necessity? 
Do you think that helped to make mental health much more of a priority for companies? And as people, because like right now over here, presumably over there, but over here, I think a lot of um, uh, CEOs are saying we're paying how much in office space that we're not using? No, everybody come back to that. Come back, come back. <laughs> we're stuck in this place. You got to come back, right? So do you think that um, the workers who are rebelling against the, the return to the office movement that a lot of leaders are trying to make happen, do you think that's going to make mental health even more um, acute, more pronounced? Or are we going to have more mental health issues because people, leaders are trying to get people to come back to the office where people may have a more of a comfort level being at home. Uh, do you think that's going to exacerbate any kind of mental health issues on mass? If I'm, it's, if I'm it's being ambiguous enough. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's an interesting question because I think that, um, I mean, as you said, the, the force to, to work from home was forced because of COVID and, and, it's as is with anything, as as my wise mother would say, nothing's without cost. That there's benefits that you get from a change, and then there's downsides of it. And um, I think in the context of what's happening now, and and this grappling between work from home, work in the office, that people would have said during COVID, there were all sorts of positives that came out of working from home, mm-hmm. and people are like, oh my goodness, this is amazing because. I'm not losing all of these hours in commuting so I can actually do the exercise that I was struggling to do beforehand and I can do that instead of the commute or I can actually, um, you know, put I, I was talk about oh, I love slow cooking and I, so I love the fact that at lunchtime I'd go, oh, I'm going to put something in the slow cooker for dinner and uh, it's great so that dinner time, dinner's just ready and I don't have to hurry up from work. So there's benefits um, from that. I think that there's... Um, so there's kind of a couple of different questions there in terms of, of the impacts on um, there's a transition impact from a mental health perspective and then there's a what's our what's our new norm and, and how's that best new norm work? Because I, like I know even personally at the point at which we started to say, this is back when I, well, I've only just stopped going, I've just, only just been gone on sabbatical, but when we were starting to get people back into the office, even personally I was like, oh, like that's an effort. That's an effort. And yeah. and it was just because you'd lost you'd lost your muscle memory for it, hadn't you? Like you'd mm. kind of like I was thinking, oh, I've got to put I'm gonna put shoes on and um I've got to pack my lunch and put on my pants. Put on my pants. <laughs> <laughs> so my case. there'd be things that you go, oh my God, I've got to try and remember all the things that I need to put in my bag to get to work. And I know the first few times that I went back to work, I was exhausted. Because I had to remember different things to try and get back to work. And when I found when I came back to work too, it was like, oh, I haven't even got half the work done because half the time I'm just saying hi to people because I haven't seen them for months. Because Melbourne, you know, most locked down city in the world, it was like, oh, we've finally seen people. <laughs> so um, transition is hard. So that's a barrier that often um, is really hard to get over and people can get more anxious and people go, no, I want to stay at home. It's more comfortable at home and I prefer it here and I like it here. The thing is that we're social creatures. Like we, we are absolutely born to be in a tribe. We, we, we're not, we're not supposed to be alone. Mm. And work, it, work should provide some level of meaning for people. And, and that meaning isn't, you know, I mean, some people go, well, if I'm working in a not-for-profit place where I'm helping 
um, helping homeless people, I can say, well, that's my need and meaning in work and that's great. If you're sitting there going, well, I'm on a factory line, how's that meaning when I'm just, you know, moving widgets along? You're going, well, the meaning doesn't come from the actual movement of the widgets unless you're making something that you're passionate about. But what meaning comes from is the tribe that you're in, from the people that you're connected with, how you have that sense of belonging. We all need that sense of belonging. And so the challenge in the workplace is that the more that we remain at home and are not coming into the office, that we get more disconnected. We don't feel that we belong as much to the tribe. So I actually think it's really important to get people back into the office, but I actually think it's important to get the blend and to get that balance of saying, I think that's that new world that we should be able to have some time at home and some time in the office. The trick, though, is not about forcing people. So I know it's not about going, you must come back. I demand that you come back. Because then people go, well, you know, there's a bit of resent. So I'm glad it's not video because I've made some you know, funny facial <laughs> expressions there. But, <laughs> but no you, um, you, if you're forcing people, there's resentment that comes with that. Sure. So what you want is for people to want to come back to work because they want to see people, that they want to be connected. And what certainly my experience was, was that there was just this tetchy time to begin with where it needed to transition and then it got better. The hardest, you know, there were some groups, so dare I say our tech groups were usually the hardest because for a lot of tech people they'd go, well, I could work anywhere, I could work for any company anywhere in the world now and I can just stay at home and I feel really comfortable in my own little box at home. And so you find different things for different people. Now, I, I could keep, I'm rabbiting on for ages there. I don't know whether that, does that... For your, no, for your no, ambiguous it, question, did it answer it ambiguously? <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did very well. And actually, it is. Uh, I like your answer because it sparked another idea in my head. This is a this is sort of a uh, wacky tangent, but it is relevant. So um, I grew up a lot on sci-fi. Right, I love Star Trek, Star Wars, all the stars. <laughs> love it. So I watched. Uh, I was a big fan of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Now, on the Next Generation, among the chief officers was. Uh, uh, Deanna Troy, who was the ship's counselor, right? And I and I, and, I, and I bring that up because I wonder, and since Australia is probably more advanced than, than America in this case, um, well, do you think we'll ever get to a point where there is a, a company counselor, someone who just goes around to do different office branches and checks on people's mental health and maybe does things to make sure the work dynamics are going well, uh, in the same way that Dana Troy on Star Trek, she was there to check over the the cat, the, the um, officers' mental health to make sure that they were operating at efficiency. Or is that just or that just too far fetched? That's just too. No, fantasy. well, I'm going to say it's not too far fetched. But I actually, interestingly enough, I go, I really hope that there isn't that that okay. we ultimately head there. So there's certainly so what we see in Australia is it is quite common for people to have a role that is someone that looks after and often goes to get a health, safety and well-being. Sometimes in some companies they have well-being. Um, we, we've started to see in a couple of places they have things like chief happiness officer. or um, <laughs> yeah. And in fact, but I have seen in some organisations and reasonably sized organisations here in Australia, chief mental health officer. So having someone who is, is putting that lens onto the organisation I think that there's a real difference, though, between putting a lens on it that says, what's our strategy? So what is it that we should be doing in this organisation as a whole to, to help people with their mental health and to help people, A, take responsibility 
responsibility for their own mental health and what they're doing, but also making sure that we're clear as an organisation how we're contributing to people's mental health. But in the context of checking in with people and saying, is everyone okay? I think, and and this is with all due respect to um, the human resources profession, but what I had seen over time, and I'm seeing a kind of this interesting time at the moment because when human resources, you know, sort of came out originally from, oh, we need someone to do the payroll and all of the admin stuff, and then it kind of expanded to say we do need to have a look at people and the people concerns. But what can happen is that then managers abdicate to HR. And so managers sit there and go, oh, that's an HR thing. They need to do X rather than owning it themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately every manager needs a, a diatroy in them. So every manager should be learning the skills so, so that there's a mental health person that can help the managers learn the skills, but the managers need to be the ones who are checking in their teams. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Makes sense. Good. Good answer. <laughs> Good answer. Um, with your background in senior management, what unique insights can you offer about the challenges that leaders are likely to face in fostering a mentally healthy work environment as we move forward? Yeah, lots of challenges. <laughs> <Lots of> challenges. <laughs> uh, because I think, I mean, so when I wrote the book, I and, and I wrote the book pre-COVID, I, I mean, in fact, I, I published by the time I got to publish it, COVID had hit. I, and so ironically, it kind of hit at the right time because wow. everyone started talking about it. But I was writing about it beforehand because what I could see coming even before I knew COVID existed was there's this tsunami coming which has hit us that says there's an increased level of anxiety and depression in the world. You know, the World Health Organization talks about how significant loneliness is for people. And and this this is increasing and we're seeing far more... um, you know, so, social media is causing far more disruption for people in terms of them and us and the whole I'm right, you're wrong and the discord that exists for people, which is continuing to increase people's levels of anxiety. You then throw on top of it, here's technology coming through that is going to disrupt the way work exists. So there are jobs that exist today that won't exist in even five years, let alone 10 years' time. Sure, sure. So our world is rapidly, rapidly changing. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in a world in which it's rapidly changing, we also have um, this uncertainty. So we've got all of this uncertainty about what's happening with climate change, what's happening with, um, you know, civil disruption, what's happening with wars, all those sorts of things, which, which means that we're sitting in a society where um, connection is so important, more critical than ever, than ever. We need to feel connected. We need to feel we belong. We need to understand we are, we're all humans. We need to find that sense of connection because that's what's actually going to help us solve the problems that we face. So for senior managers in this world coming forward, there are so many complex problems that we're going to be dealing with. And the only way that we can deal with them is if we've got a really good sense of the teamwork and connection amongst people to help solve those problems. But if these people that are coming to work have these increased levels of anxiety, which they will because <gasps> what's going on in the world and how do I know, then yeah. senior managers not only have to be dealing with what's the complexity of the world, but actually how do I, how do I help people to be better mentally? How do I help people in the way that I design my work, even though it's really uncertain even for me. Yeah. So I kind of I kind of go, there's those layers of going, and in fact, because the extra layers then themselves, so you go, there's increased levels of anxiety. We've got changes in the work and what work means, which means as a senior manager, 
manager, you're grappling yourself with how is this world changing? What does this mean? What am I trying to do? How do I make money? How do I get this business to thrive? And as part of that, how do I feel myself? Because I've got to manage my own anxiety around the changes that are going on. And then, goodness me, I'm trying to then work with a group of people where anxiety is much higher than it used to be. So it's, whew, it's big. So I think, you know, read my book. That's a starting point, senior managers, to uh, start getting your ideas around. How, what do you need to do? <laughs> that is interesting. You, every time you say something, it sparks another idea in the back of my mind. I'm thinking about, to your point, how much the world is changing. Uh, in addition to the problems you mentioned, I'm also thinking, you know, Russia and World War III may be around the corner. Who knows? It's <laughs> mm. a very real possibility, unfortunately. Uh, at mm. this case. And then I've also seen recently uh, data around the rise of antidepressant usage. Um, yep. And that's that's a concern too. Uh, but I find myself sort of on this, this uh, on the fence in a certain way. And I'm going to, I'm going to channel um, the devil's, I'll be the devil's advocate here for a second. So when you have such an outward need uh, uh, to, to quell so much of the world's problems, because we live in a society, no man's an island, that kind of thing. Uh, but then you also have to balance that with, uh, I have a business, I'm running a business and I need to make a profit. I need to make things better for our shareholders. And I want my workers to be happy, but at the same time, I'm not their nanny and I need to, we need to get these widgets done, uh, and crank out more widgets and then more and more widgets so that the lights stay on and we can make a profit. So for, for the HR leaders who are listening, or for maybe even the, um, uh, C-suite who may be listening. How do you qualify how much of your attention um, and effort should be on the mental health, uh, the good mental health in your workplace versus everything else that needs to be done? Does that, yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It does. So let me perhaps, um, th- there's a couple of different perspectives that I'll take on it. The first one is when I talk to business leaders around their role, and, and bear in mind, so I mean, I've spent the last well, my, my decades in corporate, you know, space and um, and making money, like kind of, and, and it's part of, and it's, in fact, it's why I wrote the book, because part of writing the book was saying, I want to write it as a senior leader for senior leaders, because I go, I, I'm commercially minded, I want to make sure that we actually run the business and get the money that we need to, but you need to understand that your role juggles three balls, hmm. and these three balls are task, team, and individual. So, you, you have this task and whatever that, you know, in making money, let's call it making money, but saying that this is your job, right? You go, this is the business and I've got to get a certain amount of widgets out. I've got to do X, Y, Z. That's my task. I need to do that. There's this other ball called team and you go, I have this team and actually if I, I want them to do that task, I've got to get them to be able to work effectively together to do that. So I need to understand a bit about who they are, how they work together, what's the best combination of people, how do I motivate them um, and keep them engaged in order to get the task done that I need. Mm. And then the third ball is individual in terms of yourself and saying you need to be conscious about how you look after yourself and how you show up because if you're just showing up going get a task done, get a task done, get a task done, you're not actually going to get the best stuff done. For You're not going to get your team engaged in the best way. And if you're only intellectualising, and which some leaders do, like I see managers that go, you, you understand intellectually that people are important, but you don't really understand in your heart that people are really important. Mm-hmm. And so you, you don't treat them decently, but also you're not looking after yourself within it because you're so driven by a dollar, you're so driven by a goal that you miss what it means in the 
magic that you create if you get people connected. So there's there's this whole level of um, I love the economic principle. Um, it was a Stephen Covey Jr. that talked about this economic principle of trust, high level of trust, low cost of doing business, low level of trust, high cost of doing business. And great, um, great book, The Road Speed of, of Trust, which shows all of these examples of businesses where you go, if you don't have that sense of trust with your team, if you don't have that way of working, this is not going to, it's not going to work. So that first one is saying there's three balls that you juggle. And if any one of those balls gets too big, actually it's really hard to juggle them when they're really different sizes. So you've actually got to understand that this is a balancing act and the balancing act gives you the best long-term results. So that's kind of the first part. The second part in terms of not being a nanny or not, what I'd, I think the easiest way to think about this is on physical health because it's kind of almost more concrete for people to understand from a physical health perspective mm-hmm. and then you can think about it from a mental health perspective. So from a physical health perspective, I sit there and go, well, I'm not responsible for whether or not you smoke cigarettes and eat donuts. Like that's your choice if that's what you're doing. I want to know you've got to take responsibility and everyone should hear that message all the time. It is your health, whether it's your physical health, whether it's your mental health, it is your health. You need to look after it. You need to take actions. You need to take what it takes to look after yourself. Now, I can help you potentially, and this is what organisations start with, is going, let me give you some information. So let me give you some information so you might understand a little bit more about what it means to look after your health. But, mate, you need need to do that. But I can choose to not have just all completely fried food in the cafe down the cafeteria where you eat. Hmm. I can choose to think about how I design my work so that I do make sure that you actually do have a break to go and eat something healthy, that I can choose how I design the work so I'm not expecting you to be sitting in front of your computer for 14 hours a day where I can see why you'd be smoking your cigarettes and eating your donuts all the time because I'm placing the such pressure on you in how I've designed the work that you don't have the time to go and do the physical exercise. Now, I'm not going to sit there and go, I'm not going to give you a gym membership. I mean, some companies do and I go, don't. You know, people have to take their own responsibility for that. So I'm not going to drag you down and go, Jim, we need to go and exercise all the time, mate, because that's what's really important for you. You need to do that. But I should be creating the environment in which those choices that you make are easier to make. Okay. And so it's the same from a mental health perspective. You go, everyone has to own their own mental health. Absolutely, they have to own their own mental health. But the question is, can I give you some information as a manager so that you understand what it takes to look after your mental health? And can I think about some of the things that I create in the workplace in how I design work so that the actual work itself is, is healthy rather than unhealthy for you? I like that. I like that, that uh, personal responsibility. It's sort of like um, you can keep, uh, I don't know, drugs from an addict, but until they want to change, they'll always go back to it uh, on, the, on yep. down the road. If that's a probably a bad example, but that's what just popped up, <laughs> popped up in my head. Time is creeping up on us. It's, it's going by fast. I got one more question for you, if I, if I may, in the last few moments we have. Could you share uh, maybe one innovative approach to mental health that successful companies have adopted and how that approach may align with the future of work in some way? How long have you got? <laughs> just one. Just give me just one. Oh well, I was going to say here's kind of two extremes of stuff because I'd go look the 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 ultimately the successful companies are having this really incredibly uncomfortable conversation around how do we design work Mm. and 
How do we design work? Because that's the bit that we control in a company more than anything else. And so it's saying, are we looking at what the right structures are, what the right span of control is, what the level of workload is for people, how much autonomy we can give people, how we recognise people. That's, that's the key in people feeling like I'm coming into work where I'm doing work that is reasonable for me to do, that I've got a reasonable level of control over and I'm valued for the work that I do. And that is no easy task to get the design of work well, but that to me is the one of the key, key roles that HR people need to play mm. is having and guiding managers around that to say how do we design the organisation and the design of the work to make this the best possible thing for people. So really, really, really important. Um, the other part is, and in fact, actually I'll go two things because I didn't say only one, now there's three. So yes, <laughs> strategy overall, really, really important. Um, an, an interesting one from the organisation that I have just been recently working with or well, for the last 10 years, it, actually I really love, I was slightly sceptical I must admit to begin with because I'm very much about the human interaction, the human connection, how important this is. But actually we um, have a, um, they've got a recognition program which is online and you can actually, so we used to always have, we had a culture of cards. We'd have little recognition cards that you could write thank yous to people and give them to them. But in a world in which half the time people are digital anyway, mm. you actually could write recognitions online and send them to people and include others in them, et cetera. But instead of just being in an email, because you're going, well, can't I do it in an email? This was in a program in which then those recognitions built up. And in fact, for managers, managers got points that they could award to people for particular things and so I would sit there and say to my team CC me in on your team's recognitions if there's something you know that they've done really well and when I'd see someone that's oh look this person's done this amazing work go fantastic I'll add to that or boost it by giving you some points and those points turn into dollars for a voucher of various different sorts and we'd sort of lined up with lots of different organizations to give vouchers etc and so and, and so in some ways it gamifies it, but actually it really is starting to build this really amazing sense of um, recognition where, and, in, and it works for this particular organisation because people love the, 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 the ops, you know, at the end of each month we talk about who has been recognised the most, who has been giving, who's been giving the most recognition and actually thanking the people that have been giving the most recognition. So creating a recognition culture where people feel valued, I think is really, really important. And, and I'd go one just really, really simple thing because this is something that people can start with straight away. Never underestimate that sense of feeling like you belong, that sense of connection. And there are some things that, you know, take a while to create the right designing work or create the right culture overall. But what you can do is find a sense of connection with people individually. And so one of the tricks that I have in any new team that I come into or with any new people I work with is I go, right, we're going to do some speed dating right at the beginning of our conversation before we get into work. And the question is, what is it that I have in common with you that has nothing to do with work? Because when you find something that has nothing to do with work that you have a connection with, it sparks, in fact, it does, it releases oxytocin in our heads because we're like, oh. And so, Jim, I love Star Wars. I love um, Battlestar Galactica, right? You used to love when I was growing up. Star Trek. So, you know, I sit there as soon as you said I like all of these, you know, the Star Wars, like, oh, we we could have a whole podcast on that. So... (laughs) It's amazing, you know, you find out that there's similar movies you like or you like, um, you know, like I do this with people at school, at school, 
at work where I go, um, I love cooking. And so I'd find people that loved cooking and we'd share recipes or I'm a cat person. And so I had people that I love my cat and they love their cat. So we'd share cat photos. But, you know, it, it feels like little things, but it's that seeing the human behind the role or the title that helps you to feel like you belong. Wow, the time has really flown by. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for being a guest. Really quick, tell people again about your book and where they can find it. Oh, thanks. The time has gone really quick, hasn't it? Um, so <laughs> Mentally at Work is the book. It is available on audio and, in fact, in audio I uh, actually talk the, it's my voice on there, but mm. audio or in Kindle version or, you know, ebook version but also online at any of your favourite online bookstores. I'd always go, I kind of encourage people to go to Amazon because that's probably there where you go, read it, put some ratings out there, that'd be great. <laughs> but really it's it's written in a practical way from a senior New executive to help other senior people to understand this sort of these layers of what's important. So about yourself, how you look after your own mental health and some really good practical ways. How do you actually think about the interactions and impact you have on others in how you interact one-on-one and learn some skills around really engaging with people well. And then thirdly, having a look at the workplace itself and going how you're designing your work and really making this work well. But the most important thing, really practical, easy to read, simple steps, um, worth reading to really, and say so from an HR perspective, worth reading to then kind of help about how do we can take parts of this to actually give the senior leaders to go, let's get some light bulb moments happening so that we can really start to shift and really help to improve the mental health collectively across the community. I'm sure it'll be a bestseller. <laughs> Very soon, look forward <laughs> to seeing it there. Again, Genevieve Hawkins, so thank, you, thank you so much for being on the uh, Jim Stroud podcast. Thanks, Jim, for having me. It was been a delight. Well, my time is up. I thank you for yours. I'll see you again real soon right here with a brand new episode of the Jim Stroud Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to reach out to me. I can be reached by email at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And one last favor, if I may ask, please rate this podcast. Uh, Five stars is preferred, (laughs) but uh, please uh, comment uh, with your honest opinion. I really appreciate that. All right. Okay, until next time, bye-bye. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!